Good morning. Good to see you this morning. I'd invite you to turn to Colossians chapter 1, and we're going to start reading with verse 24. Uh, Friday, Janet and I had the opportunity to drive to Pennsylvania to be with our youngest son and their kids. Um, two of them sang last night in the Lancaster uh, Mennonite Children's Choir, 150 strong. I mean, it was like being in heaven, just sitting there and hearing these young people bear witness to the testimony of, of God's love and grace in their hearts and to Jesus' death and resurrection and uh, to the assignment that we have um, to uh, share Christ's love and to share a witness, a testimony to Christ. So it, it was just wonderful. So we didn't get home until about 2 o'clock in the morning. So if Janice starts falling asleep there, Marilyn, uh, <laughs> and if I go like this, that's the sign that somebody needs to come and hold my arms up. <laughs> Let's pray. Gracious God, this scripture is so powerful. We can't sit here and listen to this scripture and not be moved because you're calling us to make a commitment. You're calling us to put our money where our mouth is. You are calling us, if Jesus is alive and he's alive in us, you are calling us to step forth and make a difference in this world for your kingdom. So we pray, Lord, that there be no complacency this morning. We pray that uh, your spirit will bear witness to our spirit that your word is alive, it's active, it's powerful, it's sharper than a two-edged sword, and it has the ability to change us and transform us so that we might be partakers of your truth and that we might be partakers of your kingdom. So we pray, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will have his way this morning. Holy Spirit, take the word, apply it to our hearts, and then call us to action. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, the real hero of the Titanic was a man by the name of John Harper. Ironically, John Harper almost drowned three times in his life before he ever got on the Titanic. Two and a half years old, he falls in a well, and his mom had to call the fire company to uh, get him out of the well. And then when he was 26, or 26 years later, he was swept by a riptide into the sea while he was swimming. And then after that, he actually was on a ship that began to sink and he had to be rescued off of that ship. But on April 14th, 1912, John Harper found himself with his six-year-old daughter, Nana, booked on a passage on the ill-fated Titanic. At 11.40 p.m. on that evening, the Titanic grazed an iceberg, an iceberg and the iceberg ripped six of the watertight compartments on the ship 
and water began to infiltrate the Titanic. And according to official documents, when it became apparent that the Titanic was going to go under, John Harper took his daughter Nana, he put her on a lifeboat. He could have gotten into that lifeboat and saved himself because there were a lot of other people that were trying to elbow people out so they could get on the lifeboats. But instead, he looked at his daughter and he said as he gazed in her eyes, I'll see you again one day, sweetheart. And then he kissed her and she went off on the lifeboat. And then the hull of the ship began to go upward and it is reported in the documents that John Harper began to climb the deck of the ship screaming at the top of his lungs, women and children and the unsaved into the lifeboats. And then with deafening, explosive sounds, the Titanic broke apart and sunk into the ocean. And John Harper found himself plunged into the frigid waters he spent most of his time swimming from one person to the other, sharing the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and inviting people to put their faith in Jesus. He saw one young man clinging to a pile of debris, and he swam over to the young man, and he said, Young man, do you know Jesus Christ? We're all about to go down. Are you saved? And the young man said, no. And so John Harper stayed there and tried to invest in this young man. And finally, the young man rejected what he had to say and said, I don't want to hear you anymore. So John Harper took off his life vest, put it on that boy, that young man, and he said, you need this more than I do. And a few minutes later, John Harper swam back to that same young man. And this time, there was receptivity. The young man gave his life to Christ. And that night, 1,528 1, people went into the water to their deaths. And only six people were rescued and one of those people was that young man. Four years later, at the gathering of the Titanic survivors, that young man stood up, and with tears rolling down his cheeks, he told the story of how John Harper had saved his life, how he was not content just to swim away, but he came back and he presented the gospel again, how John Harper had told him about the life giving of Jesus Christ and how John Harper's last words before hyperthermia got to him and caused him to drown, his last words were these, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. All of the people on that boat that were trying to buy their way saying, if you give me the lifeboat, I'll give you this. Whoa, what did we say today? All of the, all the treasures of this life are nothing compared to the treasure 
of knowing Jesus and the power of his death and resurrection. All the people selfishly looking out for their own lives. And here's John Harper, who willingly gave up his life preserver and gave up his life so that others might be saved. Do you think you'll ever see a movie put out by Hollywood on John Harper? I doubt it. I doubt it. But the most important question before us this morning is this one. What kind of a church produced a man like John Harper? That's the question before us. What kind of a church produced a man like John Harper? That's the kind of church that God wants Lebanon Evangelical Presbyterian Church to be. That's why our vision, once you get out there in the water and you realize you're dying, our vision is to make, our mission is to make disciples of Jesus who know Jesus, who love him, and then who give their lives to make disciples of others. And our vision is to be an equipping outpost that sends disciples into the community for kingdom impact. May I say, my heart's been touched this morning by two disciples named Kristen and Aubrey. Been touched because they are going into the community to make a kingdom impact for Jesus Christ. They're going in, they're hopping on the Titanic. where young girls and even older women are being devalued, being taken advantage of, being exploited, being hurt. And they are throwing the life vest to these young girls and then inviting God to clean up the lives of others who are perpetrating these terrible crimes. I'm challenged this morning to discover in Jesus Christ a lifestyle that Christ wants to give me because I don't live anymore. I died. Christ lives in me. And Christ wants to give me a lifestyle that I can follow him in his kingdom so that I can take the good news of the gospel everywhere. That's why the body of Christ is committed to growing mature, ministering disciples 
That's the biblical mandate. And I'd like to lift that up today in Paul's letter to the Colossians. So I invite you to turn to Colossians 1, beginning with verse 24. Paul has enough to deal with himself. He's in prison. He's in prison. And he wants to make sure that the body of Christ understands the vision that God has for his church. And he wants to call us into that vision, which involves suffering. So hear the word of God. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim Christ, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect, mature, complete. In fact, I think that that's a better translation than perfect. Mature. Complete. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Perhaps you've read this verse where Paul is saying, I rejoice that I'm suffering for you. And he is. He's suffering for the Colossians so that he has the opportunity to share the gospel with them. But look at the next verse. And I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. If you didn't know any other scripture that Paul wrote or Peter wrote, you'd be thinking that, okay, something was lacking in Jesus' suffering. Something was lacking in his suffering and death on the cross. And now I, Paul, by suffering here, I am completing Jesus' suffering. That's not what Paul is saying. Because the testimony of the New Testament is that Jesus made one sacrifice for all time that was sufficient and was enough. The work that Jesus did on the cross is the only finished work that deals with the power of sin and the power of death. Jesus accomplished that. So Paul is not saying here that he is doing the work of Jesus when he suffers 
He's saying something else. He's saying that when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, Christ is the only one who could suffer to be the atonement for our sin. But Paul uses a different word than suffering. The word he uses here is affliction. Affliction. He says, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Affliction is a distress. It's a pressure. It is a trouble. It's not the pain of death. Paul's not talking here about dying like Jesus did to fulfill Christ, the, the, the mission of salvation. He is saying, when I go through suffering and when I go through trials and when I go through pain, that is the opportunity for the living, risen Christ to make himself known in me and through me. In the afflictions that other people see me go through, they will see Christ. Now, if you would have been in Sunday school this morning for that presentation, you would have seen the witness to Jesus. Because these young ladies and others like them go into the afflictions of others. And that affliction is the terror, and sometimes um, Kristen was saying the, the, the PTSD can last such a long time, and the therapy has to be appropriate to that. And sometimes when someone is detoxing and you're there with them, that is affliction. That is a kind of pain. And Jesus makes himself known in affliction. So as they join these young ladies, and these young ladies see them joining them in the affliction, feeling the pain, feeling the affliction, that is the opportunity for Christ to be present in his fullness because Christ has come to liberate. He has destroyed the power of sin and he has destroyed the power of death. He has destroyed anything that wants to get his hands on us so that we can experience the power of Christ. What is lacking in the afflictions of Christ is not that they are deficient in their worth or merit to bring salvation. It's not like we're saying Christ's sins can't cover or Christ's death can't cover our sins. What is lacking is the infinite value of Christ's afflictions are not known in the world. They are still a mystery. And so... I think Paul is saying, I see Christ's death and resurrection. I know the power of his atoning 
sacrifice on the cross. I know that Christ is able to take something that is black and make it white. He is able to take that which is dead and raise it to life. And what is lacking, what is lacking, and he's talking to the Colossians here, what is lacking are people in the body of Christ who are willing to meet Christ in the afflictions of others. That is what is lacking. So that the mystery can be revealed and extended to all people. Now we know what Paul is talking about here. He's talking about the Gentiles. The mystery of the gospel is that God is not just looking to save the Jewish people. He is looking to save the Gentiles as well. Jew and Gentile. In Ephesians 3, Paul says, the barrier between Jew and Gentile has been completely broken down in Jesus Christ in his death and his resurrection. It is obliterated. And that is the mystery that the gospel is not just for me. The gospel is not just for my comfort. It's not just for my safety. The gospel is for all people. And it might look like they're going down the tubes and they're going to hell. But our God is able to do far abundantly whatever we could imagine. And so Paul says... You see Jesus, you see his sufferings. Now I am going to become a servant and I am going to join Jesus in his sufferings by embracing the afflictions that people go through in this life and being willing to bring the gospel. What is the gospel? That Christ is in me and that's the hope. That's the hope of glory. I see that in John Harper's life. Christ in him on that ship. It's going down. It's sinking. What did he do? He went into the affliction. And what did he do? He proclaimed the good news of the gospel. Because it is for Jew and it is for Gentile. It is for men. It is for women. It is for children. It is for adults. It is for those who are sex traffickers and those who are victims of sex traffickers. The gospel is for everybody. But Paul is saying we need to go in to the affliction. John Piper put it this way. Christ wills to have a personal presentation of his sufferings to the world. And the way Christ means to offer himself as a sufferer for the world, to the world, is through his redeemed people who, like him, are willing to suffer for the world. Jesus' sufferings are completed in our sufferings because in ours the world sees his and they have their appointed effect. 
the suffering love of Christ for sinners is seen in the suffering love of Christ's people for sinners. And I think that is what Paul is saying here. He's saying now it is time for us to be willing to suffer, to be willing to go into suffering with the good news of the gospel because the good news of the gospel is that Christ is in me and Christ in me is the hope of glory. And when I am willing to join people in their suffering and their affliction, what they see is they see the suffering of Christ they see the one who entered our suffering, who entered our pain, who entered our sin, who entered our hell, and transformed that by the power of the good news of the gospel in Jesus Christ. So Paul doesn't say the good news is Christ the hope of glory. He says Christ in you the hope of glory. Christ in you. And how do people see Christ in us? They see Christ in us. When in our own affliction, in our own pain, when we go through trouble, when we go through difficulty, we allow Christ to transform us. And we allow Christ to give us his peace. We never lose the hope that is in Christ, that is in us. And people look at that and say, Christ in that person. I see Christ in that person. I see Christ suffering. I see his death and resurrection. And so in our own affliction, we point people to the mystery because for many people in our society, the gospel is a mystery. It is a mystery. People do not understand the gospel. And it remains a mystery until until Affliction gives people eyes to see, hearts to understand the good news of the gospel that is revealed in Christ. That whether you're Jew or Gentile, the way, the truth, and the life is Jesus. He died on the cross and rose again so that he might take others with him. So I'm inspired. I'm inspired by John Harper. I'm inspired by that story. I'm inspired by the story of Magnolia Rose. Honestly, I am. Because in so many ways, we are shielded from seeing what goes on in the Shenandoah Valley. We don't see it. We don't see the pain that people are in. And I, I, I was talking to Kristen. I, I think 
that's true of people that are going through suffering and they only have their own heart to try to help them to understand how they are going to get through it. But people need a Savior. And Jesus is the Savior. We cannot save ourselves from the power of sin and the power of death. Only Jesus can do that. And so we need to be open to sharing the good news of the gospel in our own affliction, in our own pain, so that Christ in us might reveal himself as the hope of glory so that Christ will be glorified in every way. I know I've been challenged this morning. I have to pray about what my response is, but I'm really tempted to, to just kind of give money. But I'm, I'm really touched by the lady, the widow, who had a home and had a basement and was willing to give the basement so that someone could, in, in their affliction, come to know the hope of Christ, the hope of glory. And I pray that we may consider ways that we might become involved, that we might step forward and, and really allow God to take us to places that maybe are uncomfortable. They've, it's been uncomfortable for us before. But that God is revealing where he is working, where Jesus wants to make a difference in people's lives. So Paul says that we are, we are, the hope of glory, because Christ is in us. And if Christ is in us, then we have the hope of his glory to testify to. I'm going to encourage us to, to pray for Magnolia Rose, uh, to pray for ourselves. Uh, what, what does God desire our response to be? Uh, in what ways... Does God want us to be Christ in us, the hope of glory? We want to lift up um, and pray for, for others. I definitely want to pray for Rose and Emily. Uh, this definitely is an affliction. Uh, it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult time. It's a stressful time. And there's pain. There's great pain. But what does Christ's presence in the midst of that affliction look like? What does it mean? How can we as believers walk with Rose and Emily so Christ can be seen in this situation, maybe by someone uh, at, at, at the center, at the children's center, Wherever the journey is, whatever it is, Christ, what does, how does Christ want to reveal himself 
in this affliction? Uh, we don't have all the answers, but we do know who does. And we do know that Jesus is alive and that Christ is in us and he is the hope of glory. So we can see God work even in the midst of affliction and difficulty and pain. So I'd like for us to, uh, to pray uh, as the Spirit might lead you. Um, I'd like to ask anyone who would like to be prayed for to, co to come forward, if you would. Right? We've already asked them. We've already laid hands on them, so I know they're okay with that. Um, and Rose, would, would you be able to come up front here? And we'll get a 